I'm David All, and this is Beyond the Belly. Belly of the Beast Life Stories is a way to help us understand the nature of life transformations. Each of the real-world stories illustrates that in a different way. But now, we want to go beyond any personal belly story to understand the overall patterns of transformation. To shape the narrative, I'm going to pull in expert friends of mine to help guide us through the patterns and share insights. My hope is that as you hear these stories and digest their meaning, it shines a light on your own life, helping you take action to live an even fuller life by being mindful of the transformations you have gone through, are going through now, and of those just right around the corner. Hey, heroes, welcome back to Beyond the Belly. I'm David All, and we are talking with Artie Wu of presidelife.com. We've already talked about the origin story of Belly of the Beast Life stories and the overall meaning of Belly of the Beast. So if you missed that, you're going to want to listen to episode one of Beyond the Belly. And in this episode, we're giving you the secret so that we're kind of giving you the keys to the castle on this one because we're sharing the overall pattern of the belly of the beast. And once you understand this, not only is it helpful in your own life, but as someone who is a listener to this show and to belly of the beast life stories, you're going to see it pop up all of the time. Now, every single episode follows the same pattern and that is not by chance. I am curating these stories. I am personally working with each of the guests to really understand their transformation story and understand each stage of it so that I can guide us through and guide them through their own story, which of course is such a powerful thing for them to do and then gives us such an uplifting and brings us so much awareness even into our own journeys. So I'm excited to welcome back Artie Wu of presidelife.com. Artie, I'd like to start out by talking about the forced change Mm. part of life. And to do that, I'd like to focus on our second episode and bring in the voice of Dr. Julian Gold, who was diagnosed with cancer. And he was a 30-year physician. He was on the board of Cedars-Sinai. And all of a sudden, a pain in his foot turned into a very disturbing, uh, distracting Mm. time in his life that he had to get through. So let's listen to that clip, and then let's talk about it. So now I had a diagnosis. I had gone to see the oncologist. He told me pretty much what was true. He also told me that time was of the essence here and that he didn't want to waste any time treating me that I needed to kind of get myself in the hospital in the next couple of days. The reason why I use Dr. Gold's clip to illustrate this idea of forced change, and I want you to elaborate on this, but a health diagnosis, right? Getting diagnosed with cancer is so life-changing that you talked about the whale, and it feels like this is immediately getting snatched off of the surface and your life changes. Mm. Absolutely. So I think with this example of Dr. Gold, it's just 
points to the larger, just classic, we've all seen this, we've all had loved ones who have gone through this or heard stories or it's just like the big health scare or the big health diagnosis that actually, you know, goes from scare into reality and your entire life changes. And I think that health kind of issues, health conditions, uh, in my experience and the people I've worked with, that really sort of reaches that category of things that truly cannot be stuffed down anymore. And the one thing I want to say here is that uh, a big sort of health diagnosis is just one of many different ways you can be triggered to go into the belly of the beast. And when I think about this phenomenon of different ways of being triggered in, I really think in terms of purely the mechanistic way the triggering into this next phase of a transformation happens. And what I mean by that is when I hear about a health diagnosis or someone like changing, losing their relationship with someone important to them or losing a job or whatever, from where I sit with all the different thousands of people I've seen and, and work with on this, the feeling I have is most definitely one of kind of uh, I'm looking for the right word here, but I guess the word would be impartiality, right? Because this phase and transformation happens to everyone on multiple levels. So in Dr. Gold's case, just to use that as a, as a pattern example, his body is going through a major change. His life sort of situation, his worldview is going, going through a major change. And his relationship with his spouse is going to go through a major change. And those are three belly sort of triggers that happen simultaneously. This is a major tsunami of his life here uh, happening on multiple levels. And I think to really honor like the true nature of a transformation like this, you can think about it at a high level and you can think about it at a low level. At a low level, you would say, well, how was his health? And did he like bring this on himself? And that's absolutely the wrong way to think about it. Could he have done something to avoid this? Did he... This mentality that starts to sort of sort of sidestep an edge toward the cliff of like blame <laughs> and trying to find a cause. And in the Joan and the Whale story, you may as well think like, well, why were whales even invented in the first place? How outrageous that there's a whale in my ocean. It's like, that's not the point at all. If it wasn't a whale, it would have been something else. So the higher level of looking at it is to say, whatever the thing was, cancer, you know, car accident, loss of a loved one, whatever it is. The question that's more interesting and relevant to me and and ultimately helpful in my experience is what is the overall meaning of this event? And there are many, it's not a linear thing. It's not like, oh, here's the answer. The answer is four. So move on. Right. But what is the meaning of this event? What is changing in my life? Um, Why has not just this thing happened, but why has something like this even happened? And at that point, we rise to the level of seeing the thing as a symbol with its own meaning uh, that's, in many cases, basically inexhaustible. The belly of the beast, we can talk about that for hours in terms of the different aspects of the symbol. And the contrast I want to sort of kind of characterize that with is the difference between allegory and symbol. You look at Dr. Gold's triggering of his diagnosis. And if you look at it in a kind of small-minded way and you see it as an allegory, it's like a finger wagging, well, he should have done this, he should have done that, 
or he was unmindful of his life and this was along the wake-up call. And that's like, to me, that's just the wrong way of thinking about it. It's not a finger wagging. It's not a blame. It's not a, this is being done to you to teach you a lesson or to mete out punishment. At the higher level where you rise above allegory, you look at it as a symbol itself. He is in this caterpillar mode and he's being triggered into this cocoon mode. And that just is what it is. It almost doesn't matter how it's happening. And then the question, of course, is like, what is the caterpillar that's going to be transformed? Right? What's going to be left of the caterpillar when he comes out? Um, what will be his experience? Will he go down into the cocoon in a posture and face all that pain? Because there will be pain, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. Will he face that pain with resistance? I mean, you, if you didn't, you almost wouldn't be human. Of course, you're going to resist at some level. But at some point, will he be like, it is what it is. Let me sort of move through this and actually use it as a tool for reflection and insight. I mean, he may not, you, any given person may not use those words, but there is this switch in your consciousness. When Jonah is in the belly of the whale, at some point he's like, somehow I've lost everything and yet I'm somehow still alive. Like, I feel like I should be dead, but somehow I'm in the belly of the whale and I'm still breathing. And the key turning point is like, what does each person decide to do with that when they reach that point? And to that point, I'd like to move to the next stage, which we talk about as being in the belly of the beast. To do that, I would like to bring in Chip Conley. This mm. was our season finale, season one finale, episode 13. And Chip talks about the dark, gooey, cocoon stage of life. Right. Let's listen to that. Just recognize that um, the journey from the caterpillar to butterfly has a cocoon, a very dark cocoon, a gooey cocoon in the middle. And for me, this gooey cocoon was from age 45 to 49. What I love about Chip's comment is that um, he gives it at this level of deep, deep wisdom. Uh, and then, of course, because it's Chip, he gives you like the actual numbers and concreteness. <laughs> so he says dark, gooey cocoon, and he pegs it. It's like 40, 45 to 49, which is just so powerful for me because naturally, when you describe a pattern like this, people's first question, well, the first question is, can I avoid it? And the answer is no. And the second question is, well, dang it, how long is this going to take? Uh, and Chip's answer is for him, it took him five years. It just speaks to the fact that there can be this part of you that is in cocoon phase. Even though the rest of your life, you know, he didn't stop breathing. He didn't stop making money, living life, paying his taxes and being with people. To all, all outward appearances, life continued moving. But a part of him was in this cocoon stage. And he knew it. And you know, when it's that long, at some point, you just forget about it. At other points, you know it's happening and you create space in your life for that cocoon to like not be crushed and to continue just you know, gestating, fermenting, cooking. There are all these words for it, right? But basically, it's this idea of it looks like nothing's happening, all kinds of non-linear things are happening that you can't even describe. But you know enough that the things that are happening are essential, even though they're itchy and uncomfortable, and they must be left alone and given space and time. It's, it's a lot like making wine. Or you do all the stuff, you like grow the grapes, you like 
get the investors, you, you get the land and everything. And at the absolute critical point, you put all of your work into the barrel and you just sit and you just stare at the wall. You do nothing. And in fact, halfway through, if you like tap it and take a taste of it, it tastes awful. It's like sour vinegar. And if you don't know any better, if you don't know the overall pattern, you would throw it out. Right? But an experienced vintner will know, no, 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 that's that's normal. Right? You feel like crap, you're in the cocoon, you, you feel like this has all been a waste, and that's a normal part of the winemaking process. Put the cork back in, leave it alone, go like watch Netflix, do whatever you need to do. But leave this alone, it's still cooking. Come back later, it'll be okay. We talk about that in the context of surrendering. Hmm. And I want to bring in Joby Manson. She was temporarily paralyzed when she recklessly dove into the ocean at a young age. One of her friends challenged her. She said, YOLO, you only Mm -hmm. live once. Mm -hmm. And it took her several years to surrender and come to terms with it. Let's listen to that clip. I think I was forced into it, right? Like it wasn't. And I think that Many of us experience forced surrender. We only wake up to ourselves when we have no other choice, whether that's an accident, whether that's um, a loss, whether that it's usually a pivotal moment of deep pain. And that wakes us up to looking at something differently or being different in general. Yeah. So what I love about Joby's comment is where she talks about, she calls it forced surrender. And it's just so powerful and wise it's very moving for me to hear her express it like that because i mean at the end of the day surrender is never not forced but the very act of surrender i mean let me put it this way if i willingly surrender it's not total surrender because i'm choosing there's still terms i'm still negotiating when it's truly forced and I feel like I've got a gun to my head and I'm like, okay, do whatever, you, I'm, I'm powerless, I, and I accept it, do what you will. And at the end of that, I could be dead. And so her comment really brings me back to this idea that the true transformative surrender is always forced. It always feels forced. Uh, if you willingly do it and try to maintain control, it's not quite the real thing. You still pretend you're negotiating with the whale. <laughs> and the whale's like rolling its eyes going, okay, we, I guess we're going to be down here another three days until you get it through your thick skull. But also it's very poignant for me because as we've said, we regard this transformation as a symbol, not an allegory, which means it is just this thing that happens. It's not something we use to bully ourselves or to teach ourselves or anybody else a moral lesson. So when you are put into the state of forced surrender, it's not because you need to learn a lesson. It's not because you're an idiot or incompetent or a bad person. Uh, one way or another, you will be put you know, by the universe, by life, into this position of forced surrender. And part of the surrender is to surrender the idea that you even had any control over it. And some of these stories, they, they continue circling around and they talk about it. The months and even years of asking themselves, could I have done something different? Was it my fault? And of course, you can rationalize and come up with anything. But at the end of the day, when they fully surrender, they're like, it was just this thing. It just happened. And here's how it is transforming me. 
Artie, I also want to point out something that really spoke to me in my own experience in the belly. She says, and that wakes us up to looking at something differently or being different. Mm. Those are two different things. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. Um, They are different, but I think when it's at a deep enough level, they fuse back into being the same thing. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you look at something differently, now my, my understanding, my feeling is she's not meaning in the trite way where it's like, Oh, I understand something new about artisanal pizza. <laughs> it's you're looking at what happened to you differently. You're looking at this life pattern of you having this accident and being sort of having this medical condition for many years before you crawl out of it. You're looking at that entire arc differently. And when you look at the narrative arc of your life differently, and there's a million different permutations of this, where it's like, oh, you know, I wasn't a victim. I was a survivor. I was a warrior that was pushed down and came back up. Even now, I'm not helpless. I'm actively investigating what the hell is going on with this phenomenon going on in my life. When you look at it differently, the narrative of your life changes and you change because you are in many ways created by the story you tell about yourself. I don't mean just in a PR external, but how you actually relate to your own self. So when that transformation happens, your narrative about yourself changes, and then you in your essence also changes. Now, for people who are like, well, do you ever change as a core? You could say no. And that makes this even more interesting because then it's, then it's like, if I'm not changing my core and I'm changing this view, this new view of myself, the new view must have been my actual core that I didn't realize before this. So this transformation triggered me to an even deeper understanding of who I actually am. Going back to the Jonah and the whale story, in God's eyes, right, Jonah is his prophet. It's not like I woke up one day and selected you. It's like <laughs> the reason you were even born, the reason you were even a, a glimmer in your parents' eye before you were born is because this is your function. And so does it change who he is? It changes certainly his own perception of who he is. Because he didn't know that. He didn't accept that. He didn't realize it. He was like, no way. Right? So before the transformation, he was like, I'm just a farmer. I'm just a you know, shopkeeper or whatever. I can't do that. I'm going to be killed. And if I'm killed, what then? Right? And after transformation, he says his way of viewing himself is different. And he becomes different too. Because after transformation, Jonah says, the first thing I am, the core thing I am, is a prophet of God. And that is the path I will follow because that is what I am. And whatever else happens, you know, I get killed, I get ostracized, I lose. That's all details at that point. So you realize who you really are. You follow that line of what I would call your line of bliss in your life. You follow your bliss. And then the rest is just like, you know, let the chips fall as they may. Artie, I'd like to move into the third stage of the belly of the beast pattern, which we call transformation. And climbing up is really something that we focus on, climbing up to become the butterfly. To illustrate transformation, I want to go back to the show that we opened Belly of the Beast life stories up with, which is Martha Sternbach. It was her 93rd birthday when we launched the show. 
which was 75 years after she left Auschwitz-Birkana. She's a Holocaust survivor, mother, grandmother, and a beautiful soul. And specifically, I want to talk about the fact that it took her 49 years to have the opportunity to share her story publicly, even with her own husband. Mm. And the beautiful thing is that she's never stopped sharing that story. Mm. Every day, every other day, she's at one of the Holocaust museums or talking with a podcaster Mm. about her story. So let's listen to that clip, and then I want to hear what you have to say about it. Never. Never talked about He never knew about it. And he had a sister, an older sister that was in Auschwitz, lost a little girl there, and she had numbers on her arms. We never talked about it. You know, when he find out the first time all what happened in 1994 when I made the tape, he came with me, but he wasn't in the room. But I went home and I put on the tape, and then he know. So Martha is talking about, you know, sitting down with her husband Mm -hmm. of over four decades, and even though his own sister had been in Auschwitz-Birkana as well, they never talked about it mm. as a married couple. Mm. But after she made this tape for one of the Holocaust museums, you know, in celebration of 50 years of the liberation, mm. she can't stop talking about it. I mean, this to me is just a, a beautiful example. You know, when we listen to the clip of Chip Conley, how long is that gooey phase? And he said it was, uh, you know, 45 to 49. Here, you know, this period of silence, when she took that entire life experience and stuffed it down. And again, do you look at it as allegory or symbol? Allegory, we could all debate till the cows come home and say, oh, should she have? What was she feeling? You know, we can all be armchair quarterback. And that's not the point. The point is at the level of symbol for me. Symbol? where it, it's almost how do you decide every day for 40 years to keep silence? I mean, you don't. Right? I mean, you make the decision, and it's done, and it's buried. And every now and then it'll come up for perhaps review right, or reconsideration. And you remake that decision. And it's not for anyone to say whether it was right or wrong or a good idea or a bad idea. The symbol of her placing that experience in the cocoon for 40 years. You know, it's it's a dramatic example, but it just to me speaks to the fact that there is no rule, there is no principle as to how long something is in the belly, in the cocoon. What does happen though is that typically, you know, the longer it's been cooking in there, when it's finally unleashed and let out, by Martha's own decision, she makes her own command decision to say, Uh, And it could be intuitive just to say, I will speak about this now. The dogs are unleashed. (laughs) And you can't, you you know, the barn door is open. You you can't get those horses back in the barn. And it's beautiful because her voice is out there now. And it has been for, you know, many decades now. um, Speaking, educating, helping us remember, helping us heal. Again, for me, the power is in the pattern of a symbol. It's not the allegory to say, well, that's okay, but it would have been better if she did it faster. It's not a pros and cons kind of moralist kind of what's better or worse 
from a utilitarian standpoint. That's allegory. For me, it's simple. It was down there for 40 years and it's now been up for almost 30. And it's not for anyone to say, oh, that butterfly could have taken up, could have come out earlier or should have even been left in sooner. It just happens when it happens. You know, like in Dr. Gold's example, things that one might reflect on is, why did this freight train hit him of a cancer diagnosis? At that age, why didn't it hit him when he was 16, when he was 36? And it's not, I don't mean to imply that there's like a master engineer up in heaven deciding and air traffic controlling all these things. But when these things erupt in your life, I don't want to say that there's a reason because then that that puts the reason with God or someone else and it takes sovereignty out of your hands, right? I don't want to say that there's a reason, but rather you can look to the question of like, what is the meaning, right? What significance do you feel or intuit, if any? And if it's none, that's fine. To the fact that a medical diagnosis came to you in this period of your life versus earlier or later. What significance is it that you know, Martha took 40 years and not 20 years and not 60 years to come forward? What is the significance behind the idea that she came forward at all? And these are all questions that you put to the symbol of what she actually did um, to inspire deeper reflection within you. you know, and, and that's the power of all these stories. It's not to finger wag to say you should have done it this way or that way. It's to say this is how it happened. This is Martha's fingerprint. This is Dr. Gold's fingerprint. This is Chip's fingerprint. And it gets us, hopefully, to turn inward to say, what is my fingerprint? Right? What things have happened to me? What things in my life are in caterpillar phase where I'm like ripping forward 100 miles an hour? What aspects of my life are like deep in the belly? disrupting everything else or deep in the belly and I can kind of like shut it in the closet and not look at it, right? And it will come back out. And what parts of me are in butterfly mode where I'm like raining down blessings on the life of the world around me. And it's a it's a powerful, it's not a quick question, but it's a very rich one that like, for me at least, like just, you know, just brings out all these insights and blessings and rewards. Artie, thank you for helping us understand the pattern of belly of the beast these stories have and these parts of these stories have helped illustrate that this is a natural occurring part of life Mm. i have a question though which is not an easy one to, to to even ask quite frankly earlier you mentioned that everyone will go through this experience in their life my question, will everyone become a butterfly? My answer to that is the same as the previous question, which is when you go down, the natural next step is for you to come out again as well. It's interesting when you hear these stories over and over again, all the different versions, uh, all the different kinds of people that you've brought to the table to tell their story, the climb up, will typically happen after they've fully surrendered. So the question almost is, are they actually the ones climbing up? Or are they being carried up by the forces they have finally surrendered to? I mean, Jonah doesn't slay the whale and swim back to shore. The whale comes up to the beach and vomits him back out. 
Right? In some versions, he builds a fire and makes the whale cough. In some version, the whale's just like gets a text and it's like, okay, yeah, I think he's ready. <laughs> and he brings him back up onto the shore. So I think the answer is the natural pattern is that yes, yes, you know, everyone is a caterpillar, does go down into the cocoon phase and does come up the butterfly. The process can be aborted, can be uh, forced back, backward even, or like completely stalemated and halted because there are other forces within you that will say, this entire shape is invalid. I, I reject this entire shape. Right? I demand that I be a caterpillar and a damn good looking one driving a nice car for the rest of my life with no change whatsoever. Right? All I want is no change. And those forces in a person can be very powerful as well, right? to the point where they abort any cocooning that happens. But typically that's not, I mean, what's right or what's wrong, it's not for me to say, but but in a case like that, there is a flow within you that's blocked. And when it's unblocked, it goes through the full pattern of the shape. I'm not going to say which one's better or worse, because it's, again, we're not an allegory here. But in general, for my own personal bias and preference, if I feel a flow within me, it feels better when it's flowing. It doesn't feel as good when it's blocked. And that's just my personal, personal feeling and preference. You have been listening to Artie Wu of presidelife.com. He is a master healer and he's helped more than 120,000 people with his seven-day healing program, which you can learn more about at presidelife.com. And come back in episode three where I talk with Artie about the work he's doing in the world, his vision for the world through the practice of healing and if he has said anything that's resonated with you, which I, I know he has, then you definitely want to learn more about what he's doing in the world and how you can get involved and how you can start a practice of healing. So join us for the next episode of Beyond the Belly. I'm David All. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you soon. Like the creeks flowing into the rivers, the rivers flowing into the ocean, this podcast continues to fork out, taking you further into your own pattern of transformation. I want to invite you to share your story with me, if and when you feel moved to do so. If one of the stories has helped you look in the mirror and gain new perspective, or if the wisdom has moved you along in your own journey, I'd love to hear about it. My personal email is david at inourbelly.com. Trust that your story will be confidential unless you and I decide that it's time for you to share that story through an upcoming season. And if your story is a crucial aspect of your professional career, check out davidall.com a place where you'll find some free resources and methods and a way for us to work together to help you tell your story the simple and easy way. As always, the greatest way to help these stories reach the folks that need to hear them is to share it with a friend or two. Just send them a text message or post it on social media. And don't forget, Write a fair review on Apple iTunes. 
It takes a small team to bring you the highest quality podcast to wherever you listen. Milos Rosetta is our sound engineer. Artie Wu is our advisor and a frequent guest on Beyond. And I'm David All, the host, producer, and creator. And you, well, you're more than just the listener. Your life story is the reason why this podcast exists. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. I'm working on some stories that you need to hear. Be well. <laughs>